Live from the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Jobs jump, stocks drop. U.S. futures indicating another steep sell-off this Friday. Russia's response, OPEC awaiting Moscow's decision on oil output cuts. Prices drop and all locked up. Medical supply companies raise security levels amid panic buying. It's finally Friday. Let's make a move. TGIF once again to all our first movers around the world. For some of you, it's almost over. We've still got a whole session to go here in the United States. There is some good news, though. Let me bring it to you. The non-farm payrolls number this morning from the United States showing a blockbuster 273,000 jobs created last month versus just 175,000 expected the unemployment rate falling too. The bad news is, and I think futures are telling us this, it's probably too soon to see any virus impact on jobs. So this data could quickly be assumed backward looking. Futures this moment suggesting further steep losses, as I've mentioned, adding to yesterday's 3% declines. It's been a rough day globally for stocks. Europe down more than 3%. Asia markets also finishing down over two. It's tough to keep track here in the US, but for all the gyrations, we're still net up over the past five sessions. A marked contrast, of course, to last week, the worst week for U.S. markets since the financial crisis. All we're doing right now is taking back the four and five percent gains from Monday, Monday and Wednesday this week. All the major averages, though, right now lying in correction territory, so down more than 10 percent from the highs. A different story in China, and we'll be talking about this throughout the show. Stocks are up there over 5% this week, now virtually unchanged for the year. The Chinese central bank refraining, actually, from adding more stimulus this week. The Fed's half a point rate cut, or half a percentage point, taking center stage. And investors in the U.S. expecting more cuts. We've got the U.S. 10-year sitting at 0.72%, the 10-year yield, an all-time low as that flight to safety in bonds continues. Incredible to see the U.S. unemployment rate near 50-year lows with 10-year bond yields at record lows, too. There's mixed messages there. Let's get more on this from our drivers. Paul and Monica joins me now. Paul, whatever way you choose to look at it, that was a whopping jobs number. But for markets right now, the glass is half full and they're saying we're predicting the worst here. And that jobs number was the final one that's immune from the coronavirus. Yeah, I think that is a great point. That's the right read, Julie. I mean, right now, today is March 6th. Wall Street cares more about April 3rd because that's when we're going to get the March jobs numbers. And that's when we might finally see some impact on the labor market from the coronavirus. The interesting thing here is that even though these numbers were really good, you still have no sign of inflation. Wage growth back down at only about 3% year over year. And I just took a look at Fed fund futures before coming on, on air here. The market is now predicting a nearly 60% chance of a three quarters of a point rate cut at this regularly scheduled March 18th meeting. This is after the already emergency half point cut. They're now expecting another 75 basis points. That is just stunning. And we're not gonna be uh, very far from zero if that happens. And the Fed's not gonna have that much more ammo to deal with this. Absolutely, we have to talk about fiscal policy versus monetary policy. I wrote about that today on CNN Business, yes. (laughs) 
and I'll tweet it out too so our, our viewers can take a look at it. But to, to your point here as well, at some point we're going to be asking, is this an overreaction? We're looking through an incredibly strong jobs numbers for all the concerns about the coronavirus outbreak and, and the impact it could have in the future. The US economy was on pretty solid footing, it seems, going into this crisis. And we shouldn't forget that. Yeah, I think that is very important to remember. And I think the hope is that because the job market is still holding up very well, that companies may not necessarily overreact and start cutting jobs in rapid fashion unless the coronavirus concerns really start to escalate. And yes, we are hearing about more cases in many states. And I think that's the reason why stock market futures are still tumbling despite this jobs report. But it is good news that if we start to see some deceleration in the U.S. economy because of the coronavirus, it's coming off of a good level right now. It's not like, say, if this was happening in the depths of the 2008 financial crisis, where it would be an absolute economic disaster. This could be something that's maybe a few months of, uh, you know, of sluggishness for the economy, but we eventually get past it and move back forward. Yeah, for now, though, investors aren't listening. So uh, we're not focusing on the potential stimulus, whether it's central bank or whether it's fiscal. And once again, we'll tweet out and uh, present your uh, article talking about that, because I do think this is critical, particularly at this moment. Paula Monica, great to have you with us. Thank you. All right, to Vienna now, where Russia's response to proposed oil output cuts is key, particularly if you look at the price action right now, all prices down four to four and a half percent on fears that OPEC players like Saudi Arabia will be denied. John Defteris is in Vienna. John, you and I were describing yesterday how everyone has a vested interest here to stabilize prices, including the Russians. What on earth happened in the last 24 hours? Well, I think it's the coronavirus meeting the geopolitics of oil. Uh, and there's a lot of drama around right now, uh, Julia, uh, between Saudi Arabia and Russia in particular. Uh, I spoke to a senior source via WhatsApp and said, what's going on in there? How tough is it? And you'd only say, very. Three different sources that are in that uh, negotiating room said basically they could not confirm whether Russia rejected the deal outright that's on the table from Saudi Arabia and OPEC. Uh, The Russian minister, Alexander Novak, came in 20 minutes late with a very straight face uh, and basically went into the meeting where Abdulaziz bin Salman, the Saudi counterpart, came on time, put a very audacious offer on the table, 1.5 million barrels a day, not for the first half of 2020, but throughout the year, Julia. So this is very different in terms of the narrative going forward. And they're faced with a case where oil prices are down 4% today. We're in a bear market down 25%. And I think the Russians are thinking that collaboration only means cuts because if you put 1.5 onto top of where they are right now, which is 2.1, it's 3.6 million barrels a day. And it's giving more room for the U.S. and why it's so difficult for Russia to say yes at this stage and not yet. Wow. So the, uh, the inference here is that Saudi Arabia tried to move the goalpost again simply to see if there is some kind of compromise, what the step back would be here and, and hoping perhaps to get the one and a half for the, for the first half of the year and not the whole lot. What comes of this meeting, John? What's your uh, spidey sense telling you? 
You know, the, the uh, OPEC Plus was born out of the ashes of the 2016 crisis in the first quarter. Remember, we went down to $30 a barrel. Uh, this is the most strained I've seen it ever since then, uh, because we had this black swan appear in the, the name of the coronavirus, and it destroyed demand by about 4 million barrels a day in the first quarter. And you saw the expectations. It's at least demand dropping by a million barrels a day throughout 2020. So how do you respond? There's two very different views, Julia. The Saudis want to get ahead of the curve or at least catch up quickly, send a signal to the market to try to hold $50 a barrel. The Russians say the Americans are above 13 million barrels a day. We're hovering around 11.4. Why are we giving away this market share? They can make a profit at $40 a barrel, and that's the Russian budget. The Saudi budget to break even, not the cost of production, which is 2 to $6 a barrel, is hovering around $80 a barrel. They're in Yemen. They're spending a lot of money right now. And we have a deadlock. One told me just incidentally, that the Russians are having lunch right now after four and a half hours of talks, not with their OPEC counterparts, but with the Azeris and others from the OPEC Plus. It sounds very strained inside, Julia. Mm, tense. Can a compromise be reached? John Defterius, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed with that. And as John was mentioning mm -hmm. there, the common thread in all of these stories, the coronavirus outbreak. Let me bring you up to speed with the latest on this globally now. We have global cases now approaching 100,000. We've also seen President Trump this morning at the White House signing that coronavirus spending bill to the tune of $8 billion, of course. But at the same time, the White House has also admitted in the last 24 hours that authorities do not have enough testing kits. In the meantime, California has quarantined thousands on a cruise ship to complete tests there. On the corporate side, Microsoft and Lockheed Martin have reported cases on the West Coast in Europe. The UK has reported the first death as a result of coronavirus. And in Asia now, a row has broken out between Japan and South Korea over travel restrictions. However, some better news from China. The Hubei province has reported no new cases outside of the city of Wuhan for the first time since the outbreak began. David Culver joins us now. David, as we watch the cases multiply around the world, the belief here, the expectation, particularly as far as investors are concerned, I think, is that the worst is over in China. Is that the reality that you're experiencing on the ground there? You know, Julia, you look at these numbers and they seem to be reassuring, especially when you point out that within Hubei province, which is really the epicenter, ground zero of all of this, there were no new cases reported over the past 24 hours. But you point out that within Wuhan, which is the capital of Hubei, they did see another additional uh, cases added to their total count. So it seems to be outside of it that they're getting some control of this. And that's interesting because we figured that given some of the areas outside of Wuhan, which is a major city in of itself, I mean, it's 11 plus million people, that some of those other cities didn't have the infrastructure to deal with the influx of cases. They're seeming to cope with it just fine, according to these numbers. But the reality is health officials here are not breathing easy. They are not falling into a place of complacency. And the World Health Organization has advised them not to go into that place either and to think that, yeah, we've got this beat because that's when it could resurge. And that's obviously a, a big concern. Meantime, though, we are seeing folks adjust to this new lifestyle and what for many here, including in cities like Shanghai, a metropolis of 24 plus million people, has become, Julia, a new normal. In the U.S., when you're stocking up for a hurricane, a blizzard, or a viral outbreak, you tend to buy in bulk. Many Shanghai residents flocking to China's only Costco location to do that. 
and we joined them for some shopping of our own. All right, so this is the long line that's moving actually at a pretty good pace. We've heard several announcements as we've been standing here, and essentially they're telling people, keep your distance from the person in front of you. The store only allows 1,000 customers in at a time. The wait outside, about 10 minutes. All right, we're going in. So they just told us to come into this one line that's clearly going to take our temperature here. Carts sanitized one by one, but some shoppers adding a layer just to be safe. All employees, customers, and their little ones wearing face masks. Plastic used to protect the apples from germs and plastic even used to shield kids. You can hear there's a loudspeaker. Essentially, they're telling people to keep one meter apart from each other. But as you look around, folks are definitely getting a lot closer than that. And if you did not catch that warning, this guy will keep you in line. But there are other options for folks looking to avoid stores altogether. One company launched this mobile grocery van before the outbreak. Since, it's gained a loyal following, a mostly older crowd. You can see the folks lined up here. They get essentially a menu of items that they can pick from. And the idea is they're not going into a store. They're not congregating with other masses. Instead, they hand off the paper with what they want and folks who are inside do the preparation and then pass out their food. And you can check it out. I mean, it's seeming to be pretty popular here. The company behind it says over the course of a week, the mobile grocery visits 20 neighborhoods, serving more than 40,000 Shanghai residents. The project manager says they get fresh produce daily and they make sure it's all fully sanitized. But a van can only hold so much. For shoppers looking for a taste of normalcy and plenty of options, like pallets of hand sanitizer, it's back to Costco. But a warning, if you decide on a cooked meal here or a beverage like I did, it's now a to-go purchase only. They said you have to eat and drink everything you buy in there outside of the store. Keep your mask on at all times. They're also telling folks to get in and out as quickly as possible. You don't hear many stores telling their customers to rush, but they're doing that here. An effort to minimize exposure and to maximize what you can stock up on. It's been fascinating to see that, Juliet, to notice how businesses are really trying to adjust and adapt to this new way of life, especially in major cities like Shanghai. I can't help but wonder if that's what's going to be happening in cities across the world as this continues to spread. Yeah, not normal yet. That's the message. David Culver, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that. All right, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. The White House has canceled today's scheduled visit by the president to the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta. But Mr. Trump has just signed an $8.3 billion bill to help fund the fight against the coronavirus outbreak. He'll then travel to Tennessee to assess the damage caused by the deadly tornado. In Afghanistan, 27 people were killed in an attack on an event attended by presidential candidate Abdullah Abdullah. He managed to escape unharmed. The event was commemorating the anniversary of the death of a political leader. It's the first attack in Kabul since the signing of an historic agreement between the U.S. and the Taliban. All right, we're going to take a break here on First Move. But coming up, as the coronavirus takes its toll, medical supplies go under lock and key. Claire Sebastian encounters armed guards at one facility in New Jersey. Stay with us. Plenty more to come.
Welcome back to First Move and to Europe now, where crisis talks on the coronavirus outbreak are being held in Brussels. Officials there are urging member states to work together to address shortages of medical supplies. Italy, with the biggest outbreak in the EU, says it needs to import extra protective equipment. But France, Germany and the Czech Republic and Lithuania have all suspended exports to ensure that they themselves don't run out. In Indonesia, police arrested two people on suspicion of stockpiling after seizing over 60,000 face masks from them. Claire Sebastian has the latest now on the global supply crisis. Yeah, Julia, let's call it what it is. What we're seeing among countries is really a, a sort of medical supply protectionism, such as the panic buying, such as the concern about stocks running short. The countries are banning exports in droves. That also comes uh, as the World Health Organization has urged governments and industry to ramp up uh, production by 40 percent to meet demand. And all of this has left companies who make and sell these products facing unprecedented challenges. So these are all our face masks. We store them in a secure room. For medical supply company DealMed, this is part of a new reality at their New Jersey distribution center. They have also added armed security outside. There's people that keep coming in from the street, knocking on the door, trying to take product. Masks are the biggest concern here as demand spikes because of fears over the spread of the novel coronavirus and supplies run short. DealMed, like many others in this industry, sources its masks from China. The only production that we're told that's happening right now is the production in China, which is staying domestic for the Chinese government. So you're going to run out? We're absolutely going to run out, but we have contingency plans in place. We're trying to do the best we can for our customers. DealMed can no longer sell based on demand alone. Every day they hold a meeting to make potentially life-changing decisions about who should get their limited stock. So it's going to the actual hospital when you want to do a truck. Let's do 10 today. We'll talk tomorrow again. We'll put them on the list for tomorrow. 10 boxes is just 200 masks. DealMed tells us that the hospital had requested six times that. Supply issues are mounting. China, the world's biggest manufacturer of medical face masks, says it's not imposing any export restrictions. But several Western companies tell us they have not been receiving orders. Countries from Germany to Thailand have banned exports. And the French authorities announced this week they are taking control of all medical masks to distribute to health professionals. Medicom, a Canadian manufacturer of masks and other medical supplies, says as of late January, the Chinese government has requisitioned all production at their three Chinese factories at market rate. They're not yet sure what will happen to their factory in France. And here in Augusta, Georgia, they are ramping up as fast as possible. We were basically doubling the capacity of, of the factory over a period of four to six months between additional shifts, additional equipment. But additional equipment takes a lot of time. These are custom-made machines. They're also not taking on new customers. We decided from day one to go on allocation to only distribute to existing customers the, the historical demand, to avoid any speculation, stockpiling, uh, additional safety stock, which is a big, big disruption. Do you have wipes? gloves as an example. These are other products that are increasing in terms of demand. The DealMed staff are also working extra hours. Three new team members have been hired and they're starting to feel the pressure. This is a terrible situation right now, what's going on right now. I mean, it's terrifying. I mean, we have healthcare workers that are going to run out of face masks. That's a terrifying situation to be in. But we feel that it's our obligation and our responsibility to the industry to work with our customers and be the calming voice during these crazy, crazy times. 
a calming voice in the face of unprecedented demand and dwindling supplies. You know, Julia, it was a really sobering experience, honestly, seeing the strain that these companies are under and ramping up, as you know, is risky. If you add capacity, what then happens uh, when this crisis eventually does abate? And that is why the World Health Organization is also calling on governments to support their manufacturers, to provide incentives and, and support them as they increase production. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is going to be key as well. The government needs to centralize this and support it, not just within nations, of course, but when you're talking about a situation like Europe where they're asking other countries to help, it's very difficult. All right, so we're going to wrap up there. Claire Sebastian, thank you so much for that. The president signed a spending bill this morning, that $83 billion. Let's listen in to what he had to say. So we're signing the $8.3 billion. I asked for 2 and I got 8.3, and I'll take it. Okay. So here we are, 8.3 billion. Doing very well, but it's an unforeseen problem. What a problem! Came out of nowhere. We're taking care of it. We have big news on the ship. A lot of things are happening on the ship. People are being tested right now. And I just spoke to the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. We had a good conversation. We're both working on the ship together. It's uh, close to 5,000 people, so it's a big ship. We're doing testing on those people. Okay? Uh, Could I have those other papers I'm going to sign, please? These are additional papers relative to various things. And this is it. I just want to make it uh, make it clear that in terms of tests, we have uh, provided all the tests to the state of Washington and the state of California that they've asked for. Uh, the production and shipping of tests that we've talked about all week is completely on schedule. Uh, all of the CDC tests, the tests that are available to uh, to test up to 75,000 people, CDC has shipped to America's public health labs. Those are out. Uh, that IDT, the private contractor working with CDC to ship to the private sector and hospitals, has already shipped enough tests for 700,000 tests, and the remaining lots are arriving at CDC this morning for quality control and should get out as we forecast this weekend. And then next week, we'll keep ramping up production, so as many as 4 million uh, tests uh, next week are going to be driving forward. So everything is on, on schedule for the testing. Mr. President, why aren't you going to CDC today? He's actually sent me. Uh, I'm going to go down. You could tell that. Yep. We may may go. There was, uh, they thought there was a problem uh, at CDC with somebody that had the virus. Uh, It turned out negative, so we're seeing if we can do it. But yesterday afternoon, we were informed that there may have been a person with, with, with the virus 
and uh, they now find out that that was a negative test. They've tested the person very fully, and it was a negative test. So uh, I may be going. We're going to see if they can turn it around with they Secret Service. You know, we, may, we may be going. Here, Steve, this is for you, after covering me so well, oh, so long. How big a hit to the economy? First time I've ever done that to a reporter. How big a hit to the economy are you expecting? Well, job numbers just came out, and they're incredible. The job numbers were tremendous, and uh, we picked up close to 80,000 new jobs from last report. And if you add that up, it's over 350,000 jobs. Job numbers just came out a little while ago, and uh, they were shocking to the people that were analyzing them. Did you expect more gyrations? In no, I think, look, I think, you know, a lot of people are staying here, and they're going to be doing their business here. They're going to be traveling here. And they'll be going to resorts here, and you know we have a great place. It's where so foreign people come, but we're going to have Americans staying home instead of going and spending their money in other countries. And maybe that's one of the reasons the job numbers are so good. We've had a lot of travel inside the USA. Do you think the Congress or your administration needs to take more action to uh, diminish the risk of recession? Well, all we can do is do what we do. I mean, we're getting a lot of business from people staying. In other words, here, which. I've always liked anyway, you've known that for a long time. Uh, but people are staying here and spending their money here as opposed to going to Europe and other places. Uh, now that'll change when this goes away, and hopefully that'll be sooner rather than later. But uh, people were, I would say virtually everybody, you saw the job, job numbers, I guess, people were shocked because you had another 80 or whatever it is, a lot of, a lot of uh, numbers from last month where they upgraded. Uh, so the job numbers were at a level that nobody thought possible. They were really incredible. No stimulus needed? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're going to see whether or not the Fed wants to stimulate. Uh, in my opinion, they should because Europe is and China is and everybody is but us. Uh, we uh, have a Fed that uh, is not exactly proactive. I'm being very nice when I say that. No fiscal stimulus. I think what happens is uh, the Fed should cut and the Fed should stimulate. And they should do that because other countries are doing it, and it puts us at a competitive disadvantage, and we have the most prime. We are considered by far the most prime, and it's our dollar that everybody uses. Uh, the Fed should stimulate, and the Fed, they should cut. And uh, why should Germany have an advantage of, over us with interest rates? So Germany, you know, Germany just announced that they're stimulating and they're cutting. Uh, Asia is, all over Asia they are. China is. China is. Uh, tremendously, and we're really not. And we pay higher interest, we have a higher rate, and it's ridiculous, frankly. We should have the lowest rate by far, and instead we pay more than other countries. Other countries are paying zero and less than zero, you know it very well. And uh, we're paying interest, which is a very conservative approach, but it's not a good approach, because we're also competing against other countries, whether we like it or not. Even our friends we're competing against. Mr. President, so in Afghanistan, are you afraid that once U.S. pulls out, that the Taliban will basically just overrun the Well, no, you know, eventually countries have to take care of themselves. We can't be there for the next uh, another 20 years. We've been there for 20 years, and we've been protecting the country, but we can't be there for the next. Eventually, they're going to have to protect themselves, you know. Uh, this should have been done a long time ago. But uh, you can only hold somebody's hand for so long. We have to get back to running our country, too. 
So you understand that? Sure. Do you think the African government will be capable in the long term of defending itself? Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know later. Uh, you know, we'll have to see what happens. I hope they are, but I don't know. I can't answer that question. Mr. President, any concern that the coronavirus is... It's not supposed to happen that way, but it possibly will. Any concern that the virus is more widespread than originally thought because of the lack of testing? Is that any reason why you're not going to Atlanta today? No, no, no. Uh, they had one person who was potentially infected. And speaking of that, I'd like to go, so you guys are trying to work that out. I was going to Tennessee first, in any event, and then I was stopping in Atlanta, then going down to Florida for meetings. Uh, I think that uh, they are trying to work it out that I do go. No, I hadn't heard that. I heard one person. And because of the one person, at a high level, because of the one person, they didn't want me going. But I would prefer going. And now that the person, the test came out negative, uh, we're going to try and go. Uh, the most powerful man in all of uh, media. He has a little something to do with the Wall Street Journal. I don't know if you know. This is real power, right? You used to do what they did, right? And he did it, he did it so well that he's the boss at News Corp. Of course, Rupert has something to say with that, I guess, right? And Lachlan, it's good to have you. It's good to have you. They treat me very nicely, the media. Right? Except for the Wall Street Journal with this subject. <laughs> How do you keep people from panicking? From I don't think they're panicking. I don't think people are panicking. I said last night we did an interview on, on Fox last night, a town hall. I think it was very good. And I said, calm. You have to be calm. It'll go away. Uh, we do have a situation where we have this massive ship with 5,000 people, and we have to make a decision. You know, that's a big decision because we have very low numbers compared to major countries throughout the world. Our numbers are lower than just about anybody. And uh, in terms of deaths, I don't know what the count is today. Is it 11? 11 people. And in terms of cases, it's very, very few. When you look at other countries, it's uh, a very tiny fraction because we've been very strong at the borders. But then you have a ship with a lot of Americans on it. It's got 5,000 people on it. It's a massive ship, and, you know, they want to come in. So we have to make a decision. We're working with uh, the governor of California. Are you meeting with President Bolsonaro this weekend? Yeah, I yeah. am. We're having dinner at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, he wanted to have dinner in Florida, if that was possible. Uh, the president of Brazil. So we'll be doing that today. Do you think financial markets are overreacting? I think financial markets will bounce back as soon as this really bounce back. Don't forget, they're down probably 10 or 11 percent from, you know, where they were, but they were up 70 percent. So, you know, it's only a, a, it's a relatively small piece. I don't like to see it happen because I was looking for 30,000 very soon. You were you were it seemed days away from 30,000. And now we have a little more room to make up. But uh, I think financial I think the country is so strong. We're so strong as a country now. We have never been like this. The consumer is generating so much because of the tax cuts, the regulation cuts, and, you know, the things we've done. So I think we're in great shape. I mean, I think we're in great shape. This came unexpectedly a number of months ago. I heard about it in China, came out of China. I heard about it. And we made a good move. We closed it down. We stopped it. Otherwise, uh, the head of CDC said last night that you would have had thousands of more problems if uh, we didn't shut it down very early. It was a very early shutdown which is something we got right. Okay. So looking at the Super Tuesday results, so you, you are the Democratic Party is 
unifying around Joe Biden that will take away your arguments about the Democrats being too left-wing and too socialist? Well, he's left-wing, and he's got all people that are left-wing, and in many ways, he's worse than Bernie. Look at what he did with guns. He uh, put Beto in charge of guns. Beto wants to get rid of guns, right? So that's a bad, that's a bad stance, and... Uh, He's got a lot of people that are left wing and they'll be running the government. He's not going to be running anything. If he ever got in, they'll be running the government. They've got people further left wing than what Bernie has. So not, not going to be good. It wouldn't be good for Wall Street, I can tell you that. Plus, if you look at his taxes, he's going to raise taxes incredibly. He's going to raise taxes more than Bernie. I looked at it, and he's open about it. Bernie just like, doesn't like to talk about it. I mean, Joe Biden. His tax increases are they're staggering. It's ridiculous. He'll destroy everything that's been built. Do you think sexism was a factor in Elizabeth Warren um, pulling out? And, and do you believe you will see a female president in your lifetime? No, I think lack of talent was her problem. She had a tremendous lack of talent. She was a good debater. Uh, she destroyed Mike Bloomberg very quickly, like it was nothing. That was easy for her. But people don't like her. She's a very mean person, and people don't like her. People don't want that. They like a person like me that's not mean. Okay, I'll see you guys. What is your Let's go outside, guys. Yeah, guys, we're going to hold here for a minute. Y'all go ahead. Thank you, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. A wide-ranging uh, press conference there from President Trump as he signed that $8.3 billion coronavirus spending bill. Of course, he talked about the government's response, his potentially delayed trip to the CDC headquarters in Atlanta today. He said he's still going to try and go there, that there may have been one suspect case that delayed it. He was still working on it. He uh, threw uh, criticism at the Federal Reserve there, saying that they should be stimulating more, despite the emergency rate cut, of course, that we saw by half a percentage point. He said they should ultimately be doing more at this stage. Uh, plenty to discuss, clearly, on this. Uh, let's bring in uh, Joe Johns, who's in Washington with us. So, Joe, your takeaway from uh, this press conference? Yeah, probably the most interesting takeaway from that appearance in the Oval Office with the president uh, was the fact that he said they may be going back to the Centers for Disease Control. Of course, we were told that that was taken off the schedule last night, taken off the schedule apparently because the president did not want to interfere in the activities of the CDC. That explanation certainly did not fly in our view, simply because the president has been over to, for example, the National Institutes of Health here near Washington, D.C., going to Nashville in just a little while, in fact, uh, is already on his way there to visit the destruction and the cleanup from those tornadoes that killed two dozen people. So it didn't make sense that the president didn't want to interfere. So now we know apparently there was some concern uh, about the fact that someone may have contracted the, con uh, the coronavirus. And uh, there was concern about uh, the traveling party apparently going there to the CDC. Now, he says, they may have already resolved that issue. And there's a possibility that's going back on the schedule. So an interesting development there. Uh, probably the other headline, as you mentioned at the very top, is the president's signing that $8.3 billion bill just passed by Congress to fund the coronavirus efforts. Back to you. 
Yeah, he did uh, commend the, uh, the efforts and of course said that they were accelerating uh, efforts to get testing kits out as well, which has been a, a huge focus, focus too. Joe Johns, great to have you with us. Thank you so much there. All right, we're back after this. Plenty more to come on First Move. Welcome back to First Move Live from the New York Stock Exchange this morning. Markets are open as as expected. U.S. stocks right now deeply in negative territory once again. Take a look at that picture. Today's strong February payrolls numbers from the United States being viewed, I think, here as backward looking and simply not helping sentiment. U.S. stocks have fallen back into correction territory, but it's also important to note that they are nowhere near bear market levels. That said, some $9 trillion worth of value has been wiped from global stock markets so far this week. Wow, that's a big number. Torsten Slock is here with us. He's chief international economist at Deutsche Bank. Torsten, great to have you with us. I know your view is we shouldn't really be talking so much or focusing so much as on the case rises, but more on the stimulus efforts and what's being used to address this. And we've just seen the president, of course, signing that eight plus billion dollars worth of uh, stimulus here. Yeah, I think it's very important because it's very difficult to figure out what the spread of the virus will be and what it will We just don't know that. But what we have a better idea about is, well, what could the response be both from the Fed and also from Capitol Hill? And in that sense, we did hear from the president here that there are, of course, some things in the pipeline that are very important for investors. We also heard the president criticizing the Federal Reserve, saying they should be stimulating and they've been slow to react. I mean, we got a half a percentage point cut from the Federal Reserve this week. You've got a great chart that shows what happens from the Federal Reserve in past crises where we've seen an intermeeting cut. More stimulus tends to follow. Exactly. So what is unusual is that we normally see that whenever they have an intermeeting cut at the following meeting, they always follow up with a cut of the same size. So that's why when the debate is about what they will do on March the 18th, when they have the next meeting, we do believe that they will go 50 basis points or half a percentage point again at the next meeting. And therefore, we are getting closer and closer to zero, of course, because the Fed takes this very seriously. Do you think that alarms the market or do you think that provides some comfort at this stage? Well, the challenge is that uh, monetary policy and interest rates are really not the right way to deal with the coronavirus. So that's why they're doing whatever they can do. But that's why we need to look more broader and say, well, what can be done? And on the broader measures, something was just signed that uh, Trump just talked about that is helpful and particularly helping some of the different departments that need support. But the question is if more fiscal support is needed. I mean, more fiscal support for the healthcare industry in particular. I mean, you've got another fascinating chart which looks at the number of hospital beds per 1,000 people in population. And you've got it for globally. Look, we can show it here. You have to look quite hard to look at some of the countries. But India is actually right at the bottom there. They simply don't have hospital beds if they do see a greater onset of, of this outbreak. Yeah, and what's a bit worrying in this chart is that the countries to the right, and including the U.S., is a bit to the right in this picture, yes. as you can see. Those are countries that don't have as many hospital beds relative to those to the left in the chart. And this is, of course, from a more preparation perspective, which countries look more prepared than others. It's not easy to just build a hospital very quickly, as we saw in China just a few yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, but China at least had the draconian measures to try and crack down on the spread of this, which I think is illustrative in that chart. If you can't deal with the fallout, you have to try and limit it in the first place. Yep. But what we are seeing in China, though, is a bounce the stock markets, and I mentioned this at the, the top of the show, can we expect that in the United States? And I'm predicting wildly here, once we see 
containment and an easing of the case outbreaks yeah. here? Some investors, it is a small group at this point, are still putting exactly weight on that good argument, Julia, namely that those areas, in particular China, where we have seen the numbers start to, the second derivative start to roll over and begin to come down a bit. Those are also the areas where stock markets and risky assets have performed very well. So there is a little ray of hope here that maybe once you get to the other side of this, you should have that stock market should begin to normalize. The outperformance in China relative to the U.S. is very significant. So that's why it could be a sign of hope that there is, at the end of this long process, some ideas that maybe those areas that did do best will also be the ones that are rebounding first on stock markets. Do you think we are overreacting at this moment? Because if I look at the magnitude of cases here versus what I was just mentioning there, the trillions of dollars worth of of value that's been wiped off global stock markets, something in me says, are we overreacting? Particularly when I see a jobs number and, and the relative strength of the U.S. economy going into this crisis and the markets today just disregarding it. Yeah, it's really unusual. Of course, the jobs number was very strong and still markets are down so much. I still think that it's important that we just don't really know how to quantify this. We don't yeah. have a toolbox to take anything out and say, how do we figure this out? But what we do know and what we have a good handle on is exactly this idea of what can government do? What can the Fed do? And it seems to be very clear to everyone that we know what the problem is. So now we're just debating exactly what kind of measures need to be taken, not only in the U.S., but also in Italy and in Europe, which, as we speak, also have some headlines about yes. maybe we do need also to see more fiscal support in different sectors in Europe that have been hit, in particular, of course, travel and tourism and airlines included. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about that all week. Targeted support here is key. Torsten, great to have you with us. Thanks Thank for you. Having me. Torsten Stockner, Chief International Economist at Deutsche Bank. We're going to take ahead a break here on First Move. But coming up, whether it's high fashion or the high street, many retailers are facing the same challenge, paying a high price. How the industry is showing symptoms of its own amid the coronavirus outbreak. That's next. Stay with us. the show with a look at our global movers this session. Shares of companies offering coronavirus testing kits have been extremely volatile, I can tell you, in trading so far today. Shares of Quest Diagnostics are currently lower by some one and a half percent. The clinical laboratory company says it will begin screening for the coronavirus next week with its very own testing kits. And Genmark Diagnostics also lower. It's begun shipping coronavirus testing kits too, but volatile. I think the session today, it's tough to gauge what this price action ultimately means. Sharebucks, Starbucks shares, my apologies, are falling some 4%. It's warning that Q2 same store sales will fall some 50%, 50% in China. We know they had store closures, of course. The retailing giant Costco also under pressure today, despite posting better than expected earnings and revenues align, of course, with the broader sector. The impact of the coronavirus outbreak being felt from Wall Street to Main Street. The luxury sector in particular bracing for a huge drop in demand this quarter, especially in China, where high-end brands have enjoyed huge growth. Oliver Chen is the senior equity research analyst at Cohen. Great to have you with us. We can talk about all of these things, but your view at this stage is actually we're not yet able to quantify how significant that the damage being wrought is here. Yeah, what we're really monitoring is the health of the consumer. And if consumer sentiment, consumer confidence starts to decline, that's a big problem for traffic, retail, retail at large, and discretionary spending. 
in past crises, the U.S. was not as impacted, and the United States is also a key part. The luxury industry, about a third of the revenues from China, even more growth and even more margins. So that's quite material. That being said, there are stocks we like in the pool buy. We like Walmart. We like LVMH as well. Why? Why do you like Walmart? I mean, we've been talking earlier on the show about panic buying and, yeah. and people stocking up. Yeah. Are they one of the beneficiaries, the, the Main Street beneficiaries of, of the nervousness at this moment? Walmart's 55% grocery. And mm. Costco, we were on the phone with last night, they had a really great end of the month as people really think about stocking up on non-luxury goods, just the essentials and sanitizer and personal care. Furthermore, as we look at this evolving situation, e-commerce, curbside pickup, drive up, really yeah. thinking, how do you stay six feet away from people and consume goods in this new age? As customers use e-commerce, their engagement increases a lot. So your spending increases a lot across a lot of channels. So that's something to watch. To your point on luxury, though, and you can tell me why LVMH is, is favored here, yeah. the Chinese consumer, such a huge part of the growth that we see globally, but also Chinese tourism around the world, wherever it's coming from, is a huge buyer of luxury goods, too. It's huge. At Canada Goose, for example, it could be half of the consumer. So wow. the Chinese just stopping being able to travel physically means that is down you know, 100% in terms of that traffic. What we see in luxury goods historically and in the future is large brands tend to be very successful and, and somewhat defensive. Customers go back to large brands such as Louis Vuitton, such as Dior in times of uncertainty. And that's why we do like Louis Vuitton as well as their incredible cash position, six to seven billion dollars of free cash flow, a global franchise where you're getting Sephora, Dior, LV, and they've had pricing power. So, so they remain resilient even through times of of, of low footfall, low traffic, low buying. Yeah, and also in terms of the financial model, some of the costs in China are variable. So as the sales go down, the rent expense on some of those locations That's will go down as well. The margins in Asia are higher as well. They are. They're incredible. The gross margins in luxury goods at large, uh, 50%, 60%, 70% plus. Um, so there's some healthy margins there. That being said, um, everybody's watching how top line will will get worse and it's a risk factor. We've talked about demand. What about the supply chain here? Because that's yeah. something else that we're trying to get a grasp on here and whether or not there will simply be delays, particularly for some of the apparel makers. Yeah, that's a big deal. I think as you dissect this issue, there's a supply chain issue, there's a demand issue. Supply chains, about 20 to 30% of apparel footwear is related to China. So what we're looking at is wow. real delays to the summer deliveries. And then as this evolves, it's very difficult for fall back to school holiday. And clothing and footwear, that's a big deal for everybody. And everybody's watching, thinking about freight costs too, and labor costs and rebooting. As we talk to our contacts in China, the factories are getting back up to speed uh, slowly but surely. So Walmart, LVMH, just to sum up, are your picks here for relative resilience. Costco too. Costco too, also a net beneficiary. Has the sector priced enough damage as a whole yet, or do you think there's still more downside? Well, as we look at our earnings per share sensitivities, the sector earnings per share could be down between 10 and 30 percent. That being said, um, the S&P is down about 6%, so it's something we're watching. There's winners and losers as you think about staples and discretionary. And also, as we run sensitivities, um, we are asking investors to look back at the recession, huh. what stocks to own. In that scenario, Walmart, Target are good names to own as well. 
Oliver, fantastic to have you with us. Great Oliver Chen, Senior Equity Research Analyst at Cohen. I would shake your hand, but we'd have to do elbows yeah. or, or the kick. There we go, there done. We go. <laughs> All right, let me bring you up to speed with today's boardroom brief. JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon is recovering after having emergency heart surgery Thursday morning. The company emailed all employees to say the surgery was successful and Dimon, age 63, is awake and alert. The bank's joint chief operating officers are in charge while he recuperates. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey says he's re-evaluating his plan to spend a part of the year in Africa over concerns about the coronavirus. Last year, he said he would live somewhere on the continent for as much as six months. Dorsey's also coming under pressure to give up the top job at one of his two companies. He's CEO of both Twitter and the payments company Square, but that's got nothing to do with it, of course. All right, let me give you a look at what we're seeing because we are seeing pressure despite that strong February jobs number, of course, off more than 3% to add to the losses that we saw in yesterday's trade session. It could be another long session Friday, of course, but a long one ahead of us. We'll be back in a couple of hours time with the Express. But for now, you've been watching First Move. Time to go make yours. Get some rest this weekend, please, everyone. We'll see you next week. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.